Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. At Sojourn, we follow something called the uh, church calendar, which is that for centuries, the church has uh, divided the year into, into seasons where we focus on different aspects of the life and, uh, and ministry of Christ. And so we're in a season that we call Epiphany, where we remember and we celebrate the, the Epiphany, the appearing of Christ. And so we've been going through the book of Matthew, looking at uh, selected passages. And this week, we jump toward the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, where uh, Matthew is recording some interactions of Jesus, uh, where he kind of, he, he describes and paints this picture of what life in this new community that Jesus creates looks like. So let's get started. Uh, in life, there are uh, some significant life-altering, trajectory-shaping questions, uh, questions that, that set the trajectory for your life. And um, for example, uh, will you marry me? Uh, what do you want to major in? Uh, what career do you want to go into? Right? Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to do oil and gas, legal? Uh, these are trajectory-shaping questions for our life. Uh, and in these questions, our motive in answering the question is as important as the answer itself, right? So let me give you an example. Uh, will you marry me? So 13 years ago, uh, I bought a ring and uh, I, I grabbed my wife and I took her to a waterfall, not a real waterfall, the one that's in Houston, and I, uh, and I got down on a knee and I told her I loved her and I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world and I wanted to spend the rest of my life. I'm, she's in here, so I'm, I'm not exactly quoting, I'm paraphrasing, all right? Uh, and, and I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. But imagine with me, uh, two years later, we are vacationing in East Texas. I don't know why we're in East Texas vacationing, but we're in, in East Texas, right? No thumbs up back there. One thumbs up for East Texas. We're in Tyler, hitting up some tourist spots, right? Uh, and oh, this is out of hand. Y'all calm down. Um, and I said to her, um, we're, we're at a diner, right? Bad coffee, good, good eggs. And, uh, and I, I said, hey, Amanda, why, when, when, I, when I ask you to marry me, why did you say yes? Imagine she looks at me and says... I was just lonely, and like I've always wanted to be a wife, and I didn't think anybody else was going to ask me, and so you were it, right? You were the best shot I had at being a mom. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. I am a means to an end. Motivation matters. In our text today, Jesus is going to ask one of those life-shaping, trajectory-setting questions, and our motive, our why is as important as our answer itself. And it will shape and define and determine the kind of community we are and will be and the kind of life we're going to live. So let's look at it. Matthew 20, 29. And they went out of Jericho. A great crowd followed him. Now, uh, to set a little context, this is, uh, they're en route to Jerusalem. And so this crowd is uh, to celebrate the, the, the Passover. The Passover was this meal that, uh, that the Jewish people would would eat and feast on to celebrate what God had done in the past for them. And so because this is a crowd of people going to celebrate Passover, we know that this crowd included Pharisees. Um, Pharisees are uh, this category of religious people that Jesus really rails on throughout the, the Gospels for really being hypocrites because they, they see religion as about external moral conformity, about do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's, it's not really about a heart change. It's not about love for God. It's about I do X, Y, and Z, and God is pleased with me. 
And so uh, this is the crowd that's with him. Uh, what they wanted was position and power and influence in society. So hold on to this. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 30. And behold, behold. Uh, in, in Matthew, when you're reading Matthew, this is a quick side note. Uh, when you're reading Matthew, anytime you see and behold, you need to stop and behold, right? This is, this is shorthand for, hey, don't ignore me here. Like, this is me getting down on the knees with my kids and going, hey, listen, you, you, you can ignore some things I say. You better not. I'm going to spank you. But you can. But this one, don't ignore. This is Matthew going, don't ignore this. Got to see this. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus and this crowd are walking in route to Jerusalem, and uh, two blind men hear that Jesus is passing by, and they scream out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. These, these two blind men gave Jesus a title. They gave him a title, son of David. This was shorthand for king of Israel. It was the Jews waiting on this king that would restore the nation and rule the nation. It roots back to 2 Samuel 7, where God promised that there's going to be this king on the Davidic throne that's going to rule my people. And they're crying out, Son of David, Son of David. This gets to one of Matthew's uh, fundamental questions in the book of Matthew is this, is Jesus the Son of David? Is he the Son of David? So uh, to paint that for you, Matthew 12, 23, Jesus heals a blind man, a uh, man blind and mute. Uh, and the people with him, they say, can this be the son of David? Can this be the son of David? Uh, the reason Matthew would include a response from people like that um, is that in the opening verse, Matthew says this. The opening verse of the book of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what Matthew is setting out to do is this. He's trying to show that Jesus is the Christ by showing that he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And this is where it gets real life for these two blind men. Because through Abraham, God created a new people, this new community. But through David, God would rule these new people, this new community. And in the eyes of these two blind men, in the eyes of the religious people that they were around, if you were blind, you were not welcome in this new community. You, you were unwanted. You were unacceptable. You didn't fit. You did something to deserve what you got. It's why John 9, 1 through 2, um, uh, they had this blind man and the disciples say, hey, hey, Rabbi, what was it his sin or his parents' sin? Who caused this? Who, who do, obviously, he deserves it. Obviously, the blind person deserves it. So who, whose fault is it? Whose fault is this? You didn't belong. You are getting what you deserve. You don't belong in this community if you're blind. And so if we could um, try to put ourselves in their shoes. And I, I know, I am aware that we are American Westerners. And so putting ourselves in someone else's shoes is not something we do very well. But if we could, let's just try to walk a mile in their shoes for a moment. I'm looking at my life. I, I know that if I'm blind, it's because I did something or my parents did something, my parents' parents did something. This is punishment for who I am. And when I look at my life, I stack up the evidence. The evidence says I don't belong near God. I don't belong. I'm unwanted. 
I'm an outsider. Feel what they must have felt. Unwanted. And I know, I know that for some of us that's asking something nearly impossible, right? We grew up in the church. There's never been a day where we looked at our life and just felt like we were an outsider. Like, like if there's um, a people that God redeems and saves, I'm surely one of them. There's an undercurrent problem to that. That's a different sermon, though. But for some of us in this room, this is not difficult to imagine. Like For some of us in this room, to feel what it feels like to look at our life and go, if there's a people that God redeems and he welcomes, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. Like, why me or why not me? That's the banner over our life. Why me? Why? From depression to anxiety to singleness to infertility. Why, why me? Unemployed. I live in Houston. Why me? Why not me? Why, why not me? Why, why not me? Why not? Like a date. Everyone else around me has their dream job. Why not me? No. Why not like everyone else around me? Like nobody else struggles to pay their bills. Why me? That's an illusion, by the way. Where we live makes it a hard illusion to see, but it's an illusion. Why me? These were outsiders. These blind men were outsiders whose life, the narrative of their life, the story of their life was one titled, Why Me? And they look at Jesus, they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Which takes us to verse 31. The crowd looks at these blind men and rebuked them, telling them, be silent. This crowd of religious people, these Pharisees, they look at the blind men, the blind men calling out, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. David, and they say, be quiet, be, be silent. They rebuke them for calling out to Jesus. Why? Because don't you know, blind men? Like, can't you look at your life and know you're getting what you deserve? You're getting what you deserve. It's your fault. You're in the boat that you're in. You're getting what you deserve. And you calling out to Jesus is getting in the way of me getting what I deserve. Like, we're in route to Jerusalem. We've got our king. He's going to restore us. We're going to have the position, power, influence that, that we've always wanted. It's coming, and you calling out to him is getting in the way of what I deserve. You get what you deserve. I'm getting what I deserve. Be silent. And so Jesus responds, or they respond. We try to rebuke them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, here it is, here's his life-altering, trajectory-shaping question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And again, put, us, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine, just imagine. Live... You've lived your entire life. No one cares about me. 
No one wants me. I don't belong here. I'm an outsider. And now the son of David, the one that we think is the prophesied one from 2 Samuel 7, he's stopping and he's looking at me and he's saying, what do you want me to do? Imagine what must have been going on on the inside of them in that moment. What do you want me to do? What's their answer? Here's their answer. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. We want our sight. We just want to be able to see. I want to see. Let me see. I want to be able to see. Which this certainly was a request um, for physical sight. But in the culture and context of their day, it was more than just that. It meant, I want to be accepted. I want to be accepted. I want to know that I'm not so far gone that I don't have a place with God. I want to know that God accepts me. I want to know that I can be accepted by him. And so how does Jesus respond? And Jesus, verse 34, in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Jesus looks and feels pity, which pity in our, uh, in our day, it's, it's a, like that English word has a, a really uh, fairly negative connotation. Not, not the word that was used in the, in the original text that it just means this deep down heartache, this compassion. And so Jesus sees these blind men and with this deep heartache, this compassion for them, he reaches out, he touches their eyes and restores their sight. You see, you want to know the difference between a Pharisee and Jesus? The Pharisee builds walls around them to keep the outsider out. Jesus breaks walls down. And lest you think that's a political pun, Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, that's Jew and Gentile, one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jew, Gentile, this is the cultural, ethnic, religious lines of the day where these walls had been erected between people and Jesus comes in and says, in my flesh I'm breaking down that which divides man from man. But it's not simply man from man. Jesus doesn't just come to bring horizontal reconciliation. He comes to bring a vertical reconciliation and break down the wall between man and God, let me show you. You see in verse 33 where, where it says, um, they said it to him, these are the blind men, the blind men said to him, hey, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, verse 34. So the blind men, hey, Jesus, um, let, our, let, our eyes, uh, let our eyes be opened. Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. You know what Matthew did? You know what he did? He changed the word for eyes. You see, in, in verse 33, when the, the blind men are saying, hey, let our eyes be open, this is what we want. He used a word that was just the literal physical eye, that which we see out of. But one verse later, when Jesus, when Matthew's recording Jesus, it's a different word. It's a poetic word that has a limited to almost non-existent usage in the Bible. But outside of the Bible, it meant the eyes of the soul. But the eyes of the soul, that Matthew is making a point here that this story is not simply about recovering physical sight, it's about recovering spiritual sight. It's about opening up the eyes of our soul to be able to see Jesus. 
It's about opening up so that we can see him healing, not just physical, but a spiritual blindness. It's why, it's why the story of the Christian, it's why the story of the Christian is not, I'm a good guy. I'm a really clean lady. Not, I'm a great employee, or I'm smarter than the next guy, or I'm a harder working than the ne- harder working than the next lady over. Like it's not that at all. It's not I do X, Y, and Z, and because my life is so morally intact that God loves me, it's I can see. The story of the Christian is this: I can see. The eyes of my soul have been opened. I met that man, and I can see. Who is that man? I'm not exactly sure, but this I know for sure, I can see. I can see. My life collided with his life, and I can see. This is, this is 39 minus 22. 17 years ago, this is my life. This is some friends inviting me to this Bible study where I'm looking at people singing, and then I'm sitting on a bed in my room going, if this is real, I'm in. This was God opening up the eyes of my soul so that I could see so I could see. But who is that man that touches blind eyes and causes them to see? It takes us back to Matthew's original driving question. Is Jesus the son of David? And here's why. Here's why the motive in our answer is as important as the answer itself. Because if we keep following the story along, nine verses later, this is what we see. And the crowds, and the crowds, this is Matthew 21, 9, and the crowds, by the way, same crowd. There's not, it's not a different crowd, like Jesus didn't slip out at night, leave one crowd behind, go get a different crowd. Same crowd that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. You see, the crowds got it right. Is Jesus the son of David? Hosanna to the son of David. The crowds got it right. But what's missing? What's missing from the blind men to the Pharisee? What's missing from the blind men to the crowd? Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. see, we have two choices in this text. We can see ourselves as the blind man or the Pharisee. We can either cry, Lord, have mercy on me, or the cry of our life can be, give me what I deserve. I've earned it. Give it to me. I was a 4-0 student. Give it to me. I work hard. That promotion is mine. Or it can be, I, I'm a desperate man in need of mercy. In need of grace. And if we're the Pharisee, give me what I deserve. Here's what happens. We will never see the cross for what it is. The cross will never be this glorious moment in time where justice and mercy collide and Jesus redeems you, the sinner in need of mercy. It, it'll be the way in which God made the way for you to get what you deserve because you're so good. So moral. 
It'll be what you spend your life trying to add on to. Exhausted and the tears alone, I promise. And you end up following Jesus for what he offers, not for who he is. And so you test him and say, I'm in, as long as you give me what I want, as long as you take away the anxiety, take away the depression, give me the marriage that I want, the house I want, the job I want, as long as you give me the X, Y, and Z that I deserve, I'm in. But if you take away what I think I deserve, I'm out. I'm out. For the Pharisee, Jesus is all about me, what he gives me, how he fixes my life, the position he gives me in society. And what happens is because Jesus is all about me, I don't see the outsider. I pass the outsider by. I don't see the marginalized. I don't see the homeless. I don't see the refugee. But when you're the blind man in the story, you move toward Jesus. And when blind men move toward Jesus, Jesus moves blind men back toward other blind men. And all of a sudden, we could see We can see the marginalized. We can see the homeless. We can see the refugee around us. And it's no longer, I got what I deserved. They're getting what they deserve. But Jesus looks at me, an outsider in need of mercy, and extends mercy so I can turn and offer and extend that same mercy to others. But here's the truth. I assume this is for a lot of us, but it's certainly true for me that at the deep recesses of my soul, I'm still a functional Pharisee. I'm still a functional Pharisee thinking, God, I am earning what God gives me. I deserve what I don't have. I deserve what I do have. So often consumed with what Jesus will do for me that I'm blind to the outsider and I'm blind to the marginalized. And so for some of us, We need to repent from being the Pharisee and ask the Lord to keep moving us more and more to the blind guy. For me, that started this past week, actually a week and a half ago, calling a friend of mine in Dallas, this guy that that was a member of the church that I uh, worked at in Dallas, who started this ministry to refugees in Dallas. Um, In this ministry, the the densest population was right across the freeway from where our, our, our our campus was. And I'd meet with him. His name was Jason. I'd meet with Jason, and I'd, and I'd hear his pitch on why we should be involved, and I would evaluate the quality of his pitch, define how much money we should support his organization with, which, to my shame, I tell you, because you know what I didn't do? I didn't cross the freeway and go get my hands dirty. I evaluated based on the clarity of his presentation, but I didn't cross the freeway and get to know the names of the refugees. And so I called and just said, Jason, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I saw, but I didn't see. I was 35. I'm, I'm embarrassed, Jason, but I just didn't see. I didn't see the plight of the marginalized right around me. So busy worrying about what it is that God was allowing me to do, inviting me to do, positions I was holding, not holding, that I didn't see the plight of the marginalized around me. And before you leave today and think, man, Brandon, are you saying that I should repent of not being fully engaged in every one of society's problems the world has to offer? No, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. 
that what we have seen as we have traced our way through the book of Matthew is over and over and over this, that what Pharisees and religious people do is build walls around their life, keeping the outsider out. What Jesus does is he goes through the wall and reaches out to the outsider. He moves toward the outsider, and his people need to follow his lead and move toward the outsider. So what do we do, Brandon? What do we do? Right? I, you're telling me, you've been telling me, uh, Matthew, I would say, has been telling us that we need to move toward the outsider, but how do I do that? How do I do that? I need an action plan, Brandon. I work in oil and gas. Do you not know we have action plans for our action plans? Here's an action plan. There are a lot of things that we could do. There's a litany of things that we can do. I'm going to list a couple of them. You ready? One, uh, you can go to Houston Welcomes Refugees and find out how you can help. It's an organization started really out of some people from a church right down the road from us, a bunch of stay-at-home moms who got together and said, we're going to make a difference in the lives of refugees around us. And so you can go. It could be as simple as making welcome kits, dropping them off three times a year, in the heights, they have a drop-off. My family, uh, we did it last week. Uh, you could be on a welcome team welcoming in refugees that are moving in, getting settled up in their apartment. It could be as simple as going and saying, hi, hello, what can we do to help your landing be easier and smoother? You can go to a local elementary and ask the PTA how you can serve. Go right down to Helms or go down to Sinclair, go to the other elementaries or the junior highs or the high schools. Find the PTA and say, how can we serve? How, what, do you, what can we do to help? You can contact Zach Sigmundic, a member of ours, and find out how to serve the homeless in our area. Or you could also, I should say, knock on your neighbor's door and invite them to dinner. You could simply walk across the street. You could walk across your townhome driveway. You can knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I'm Brandon. I suggest using your own name, but you can say, hey, I'm Brandon. Would you like to come over for dinner? They may say no, but let me tell you this. If that's the height of rejection in your life, you're going to be just fine. Jesus creates people who move toward the outsider, both physical and spiritual. And so here's how I want to close. I want to close like this. I want to close by posing Jesus' question to us. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? How would we answer that question? Because how we answer that question will define and our motive in answering that question will define the kind of community we are and the kind of community we will be. Will we be the blind men, desperately in need of mercy, ready and willing to extend mercy to our neighbors? Or will we be the Pharisee who look at our neighbors and say, you get what you deserve and I'm getting what I deserve? Our motive in answering that question will define the kind of community we are in 20 years. The way you answer that question will define the kind of life you live in 20 years. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, you are overwhelmingly gracious to us that you would send your son into the world to look at outsiders in need of mercy and make us insiders through the life and death and resurrection of your son. I know that there are men and women in this room right now who 
who feel like an outsider, who feel unwelcome. I pray that they would know that when Jesus came, lived and died, he came declaring outsiders become insiders because of me. And some of us in this room, we need to repent where we have built walls around our life, not willing to get our hands dirty with spiritual outsiders or physical outsiders. May those walls come down. May we be a people, a community, who are known as much for our love for the outsider as we are our love for one another. We know that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and so we're asking you, Spirit of God, to do it. Create it in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.